everyone, welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I thought I would talk to you guys about a story from music history that revolves around Thanksgiving. Now, obviously, when this podcast comes out, it won't be Thanksgiving. It'll be the following week. But I just was really keen to see what kind of stories are there in music history that revolves around Thanksgiving. And this one really piqued my interest because I had no idea about it. And it's actually one of the most famous or well-known concerts of all time. And I had no idea about it. So I don't know if some of you know the band called The Band. Two of their most well-known songs that at least I know is called The Weight and Chest Fever. So if you haven't heard of the band before, check them out. They're a great band. (laughs) Um, But they did a concert and it was made into a film and it was directed by Martin Scorsese. And this concert was called The Last Waltz because it was their farewell concert. And apparently this concert has been said that it's the most well-known concert in rock and roll history. It's very prominent. It's very famous because there's a lot of amazing musicians that come to back the band. And it's seemingly amazing. So, and it happened on Thanksgiving Day, which is why it revolves around Thanksgiving. So, and it's very fascinating. But without further ado, let's jump into the story of the band. So the last waltz, was a concert by the band. It was held on Thanksgiving in November of 1976 at the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco. The Last Waltz was advertised as the band's farewell concert appearance, and the concert had the band joined by special guests, including their previous employers, Ronnie Hawkins and Bob Dylan, as well as Paul Butterfield, Bobby Charles, Eric Clapton, Neil Diamond, Dr. John, Joni Mitchell, Van Morrison, Ringo Starr, Muddy Waters, Ronnie Wood, and Neil Young. So as you can see, this is why it's been heralded as one of the most impressive concerts of all time because it's a very star-studded concert and it's the band's farewell concert. It's insane how good they sound and the choirs that they got to play alongside them. It's very, very, very impressive. The concert was produced and managed by Bill Graham, and it was filmed by Martin Scorsese, who made it into a documentary, and it was released to the theaters in 1978, which I thought was really, really cool as well. I didn't know that it was made into like a film that that actually had like a theatrical release, which is really impressive to me. You know that when you go see a Martin Scorsese film, obviously, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get like extremely well thought out cinematography. And the fact that he did this concert and he filmed this concert, directed it, I thought, honestly, how could you go wrong? So no wonder why it's heralded as one of the most famous, well-received concerts in rock and roll music history. Martin Scorsese, I think, had a big part to play in that. But the idea for a farewell concert came about in early 1976 after Richard Manuel was seriously injured in a boating accident. Robbie Robertson then began giving thought to leaving the road, envisioning the band becoming a studio-only band, similar to kind of like what the Beatles did in their their career, where in 1966 they stopped playing live shows and they only became a studio band, meaning they only just released albums from that point on. They didn't go on tour anymore. He was also concerned about the negative effects of being on the road for too long, which... That makes perfect sense. You know, when you're in a band such as that and you're extremely popular, you're on the road so much that you start to kind of miss home and your family and it starts to take a toll on your mental health. And so, you know, after Richard Manuel had a boating accident where it left him pretty seriously injured, the rest of the band was kind of thinking about 
you know, should we tour anymore? You know, what was the whole future for the band at this point forward? Should we continue to tour? Should we not tour? Should we call it quits officially? Robbie Robertson had this to say about the negative effects of being on the road. He said, I had become suspicious of the road. Look at what happened to this guy. Look at what happened to them. These people who got crazy when they got on the road. This was not a healthy thing. I was telling the guys in the band, I like the music we make together, but I don't want to go out there with it anymore. We're not learning from it. We're not growing from it. And that makes sense. I think after a certain point, you kind of stop wanting to go on tour, playing to these you know, crowds of people and being away from your family for so long and you start to become disenfranchised with the whole thing and, you know, it makes perfect sense to me. So they were considering their options. Though the other band members didn't agree with this decision to call it quits with the road, the concert was set at Bill Graham's Winterland Ballroom, where the band had made its debut as a group in 1969. So the whole idea for a farewell concert sounded like a great idea. It's just the rest of the band wasn't so sold on the whole notion of being a studio-only band um, by this point, so they were considering their options. Originally, the band was to perform just on its own, just as a farewell concert for them, literally just them, but then the idea of inviting Ronnie Hawkins and Bob Dylan was decided, and the guest list grew to include other performers that I mentioned, like a whole slew of people. Robbie wanted to invite people who had been a strong influence on the band's music, people who represented various music styles, including New Orleans rock and roll, English blues, and Chicago blues, because that's what they were mostly influenced by. With only six weeks before the planned concert date, Robbie called up Martin Scorsese to see if he would direct it as a concert documentary. Are we going to film this? Are we not going to film this? Well, let's call Martin Scorsese and see if he'll do it. So Robbie called up Martin Scorsese on the phone. Martin Scorsese is actually a really big music fan, aside from being obviously one of the best directors of all time. He's a wicked big music fan. And so when Robbie called up Martin Scorsese, um, he mentioned to him some of the performers that they had thought about getting and who were actually officially going to join. And Scorsese said, Van Morrison's going? Are you kidding? I have to do it. I don't have a choice. (laughs) So... He's like, okay, sign me up right now. Robbie initially wanted to record the concert on 16mm film, and he recruited Martin Scorsese to direct based on his use of music in Mean Streets. Under Martin Scorsese, the film grew into a full-scale studio production with seven 35mm cameras. So, extremely impressive, no, no lie about that. The band promoted the concert by appearing on the October 30th episode of Saturday Night Live where host Buck Henry introduced them by saying they were about to disband on Thanksgiving. So now everybody is aware of the fact that the band is breaking up and they're going to be playing a Thanksgiving concert. So what's more festive for Thanksgiving than a farewell concert, aside from the Macy's Day Parade, perhaps? But you know what? That's pretty interesting that they chose Thanksgiving. I don't know if that was purposeful or not, but I'm like, you know what? That's a pretty pretty interesting way to make an appearance and to say we're going we're going away forever here's our last tour on thanksgiving the concert documentary kind of covers two sides of the coin it covers one side where it's the concert the actual concert footage and then it has the other aspect of it where martin scorsese interviews the band members and just kind of talks them through like their career 
their influences, like where they started, where they are now, all the interesting tidbits and things in between that happened to them. Um, So it pieces all of that together. And I thought that's pretty interesting that it's not only just a concert, but it's also an interview session that gives off a lot of interesting information in between. A series of secret meetings leading up to the Thanksgiving show laid out the game plan. Production designer Boris Levin would dress the ballroom with sets borrowed from the San Francisco Opera House's production of La Traviata, including chandeliers used in Gone with the Wind, which I think that's just outstanding, to be honest. This show was promoted and organized by Bill Graham, and the concert was a massive endeavor with over 300 workers. So these 300 workers would come together at the ballroom, they would decorate everything, they would get everything set on the soundstage. It was absolute pandemonium. Not only that, but starting at 5 p.m., the audience of 5,000 people were served turkey dinners. So literally everyone that went to this concert on Thanksgiving Day, they were given a turkey dinner, which I just thought, that is the icing on the cake. I don't know of any concert that I've ever gone to where they serve meals like that. So I just thought that was a really interesting, fun little factoid. There was actually ballroom dancing at this event too. So it wasn't only just a concert, it was an actual event hosted by the band where people could go have dinner, they could dance together. It was actually a really interesting experience, seemingly enough, just reading all about it, that it was like a nice coming together, obviously because it's a holiday, right? So you don't want to just go to a concert on a holiday. You want to make a nice day out of it. So I think that's kind of nice for people who maybe never really had or didn't really want to have a proper Thanksgiving with their family. They could do it with friends or by themselves going to this concert. So I thought, you know what? It's pretty interesting. The film begins with the band performing the last song of the evening, which is their cover version of the Marvin Gaye hit Don't Do It as their encore song. The film then flashes back to the beginning of the concert and follows it more or less in chronological order. It's kind of all over the place with what songs Martin Scorsese chose to put in which sequential order. It doesn't always go from the number one song to the last song. It kind of switches back and forth and then it's intermixed with the interviews from the band members and things like that, adding in interesting tidbits and things about their careers and their influences and things. So it's really interesting how it all kind of like sets the stage for itself. The band is backed by a large horn section and they perform many of its hit songs like Up on Cripple Creek, Stage Fright, and The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. They were then joined by a succession of guest artists, like I mentioned earlier, starting with Ronnie Hawkins. He was the first. So as the Hawks, the band served as Hawkins' backing band in the early 1960s. So that's how they kind of knew each other. Dr. John took a seat at the piano for his signature song, Such a Night. He then switched to guitar and joined Bobby Charles on Down South in New Orleans. A blue set was next with harmonica player Paul Butterfield, Muddy Waters, pianist Pine Top Perkins, and Eric Clapton. What was interesting about this particular set was Clapton was taking his first solo on Further Up on the Road, and during the solo, his guitar strap came loose. And obviously, when you're in the middle of a guitar solo, you can't really stop and, like, fix your strap. So Clapton out shouted to Rob (laughs) and uh, eventually, you know, his friend there picked up the solo without missing a beat. So I just thought, you know what, that's also really interesting that if you were actually there for the show in person, you got to not only see the band, but you got to see Eric Clapton, Ringo Starr, Muddy Waters, Joni Mitchell, 
and so many other people that came in for this show. Neil Young followed after this whole set with Eric Clapton, and he sang his song Helpless with backing vocals by Joni Mitchell, who remained off of the stage. She didn't want to join just yet because she wanted her appearance to have more of an impact when she came on to the stage and everyone would be like, oh my God, Joni Mitchell's here. No way, that's crazy. (laughs) So she was singing backing vocals with Neil Young at this point, but she was off to the stage. She didn't want to appear just yet. Joni Mitchell then came on after Neil Young and she sang three songs, two with the backing of Dr. John on the congas. Neil Diamond was next. He introduced his Dry Your Eyes by saying, I'm only going to do one song, but I'm going to do it good. And he certainly did. People went mad for this. Van Morrison is next on the list. He then performed two songs. The band then performed a short set of some more of its songs before Bob Dylan came on stage to lead his former backing band through four songs. Now, unfortunately, Mr. Bob Dylan would kind of be not so great when it came to this show for a couple of reasons. And it's kind of a funny story, but also there was a moment where people weren't sure if Bob Dylan was going to come through or not. Now, Bob had agreed to perform in the concert. However, he decided during the intermission of the show that he didn't want his own performance to be filmed at all for the, for the concert. He didn't want his portion to be on film. He feared that his filmed performance during this concert would detract from his own film that was coming out called Ronaldo and Clara. Warner Brothers had agreed to finance this concert documentary only if Bob Dylan would be in it. I mean, I don't know. There are so many other amazing high-profile musicians that were on the list, aside from Bob Dylan, so I don't know why they were so hard-pressed to have Bob Dylan be the one that made them want to finance and back this project, but apparently Warner Brothers said, listen, if Bob Dylan isn't in this film, then we're not backing you. Apparently, it was said that Martin Scorsese went nuts when he heard that Bob Dylan had changed his mind. Everyone was like, oh my God, this is insane. This this is just crazy that this is happening because more than a million dollars would have been lost without Bob Dylan's performance in the film, which is crazy. So they had a million dollars on the line, more than a million dollars, actually. So if Bob Dylan didn't perform in the film, they would lose a lot of money. Jonathan Taplin was the band's manager and producer of the film. He also was beside himself knowing that he had no influence over Bob Dylan. So the three men, Martin Scorsese, Robbie, and Jonathan, they all decide together, right, we have to figure out a way to convince Bob Dylan to come and stay with us and to perform with us. So they ended up going to Bill Graham. And they said, Bill, you're going to have to go and talk to Bob. You're the only one of us that can do it. So go. They wanted Bill to explain to Bob how dire the situation was and... Maybe if they convinced him, like, listen, you know, if you don't show up, we're going to lose a million dollars because you're Bob Dylan and people, the financiers for this film, they put more than a million dollars on the line. But if you back out, they're going to rescind their money. So it's more about just signing on just to sign on for it. But also the fans want to hear you. The fans love you. So they were trying to plead with Bob in any way that they could. So as Bill Graham walked towards Bob's dressing room, he tried to reassure them by saying, don't worry, I'm going to make it happen. And as they waited, there were frantic backstage negotiations between Bill Graham and Bob Dylan about how it's all going to go down because Bob Dylan wasn't just about to let up. Well, it was basically said that Bill really pleaded with Bob for everybody 
to come and perform and stay for the sake of the history of it all. Apparently, the two guys were in there for a couple of minutes, but it seemed like an hour. It seemed like an extremely long time had passed. And so people were nervous about what the hell was going to happen. No one could believe that within about five minutes, word came out that the last two songs in Bob's show would be filmed and only the last two. Bob had a couple, not just two. He had a couple of songs, but he's like, okay, the last two songs that I do can be filmed, but none of the other ones I do can be filmed. And they were like, fine, we'll take it. No worries. That's great. Thank you. (laughs) So Bill Graham kind of saved the day. At one point during Bob's performance, Robbie states that Lou Kemp, who was a close friend of Bob Dylan, said, we're not filming this. And Bill just said, get out of here. This is history. Don't mess with it. And so Lou Kemp was like, okay. I'll back off. But people were extremely concerned, extremely concerned that Bob Dylan just would not be on the concert list and they in that he would not want his part of the concert to be filmed. He was just in a particular mood. He just didn't want to do it anymore. But then it came down to a negotiation in about five minutes where Bob said, OK, listen, I'll have my last two songs filmed and then that's it. Nothing more. So listen, Bob Dylan's Bob Dylan. There's nothing more that you can do about it. Yeah, more or less, you know, Bob Dylan got his way, you know, but honestly, everything ended up the way that it needed to end up. It all worked out just fine. To be fair, listen, like I said, there are so many other amazing, famous musicians that were on the billing that probably were better than Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan is great, but Bob Dylan, after a certain point in the 60s, in the 70s for sure, but at some point in his career... His voice started to change and his music started to get a bit bland. And so, you know, he started to change a lot. And so maybe they weren't getting the best Bob Dylan anyway that they could get. (laughs) So if this was done in the 60s, well, sure, I can understand why Warner Brothers would so vehemently express interest in having Bob Dylan. But I still can't fully understand that because you had like Van Morrison and Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. You had Ringo Starr there. You had Eric Clapton there. I mean, I just, it makes no sense to me. But Warner Brothers was very particular. So without Bob's approval and backing and without Bob, essentially without Bob in the show, Warner Brothers would never have financed the entire film. So it wasn't going to work. Meaning they could do the concert even with Bob there, but for the film portion, for the documentary to be released to the theaters, Warner Brother requested Bob Dylan to be in it. And if Bob wanted to say, no, my part shouldn't be in the film, I don't want it there, well, Warner Brothers would have rescinded their money back that they put into the financing of the project. The way that it is, though, the film has been critically hailed being listed among the greatest concert films of all time in rock and roll history. And... (laughs) It's a Thanksgiving spectacle because people in the audience were having a fun time eating turkey dinners and dancing together and listening to some great music, you know, and having an awesome time. So if you've never heard about this film, The Last Waltz, or you've never seen the documentary, the concert, definitely listen to it or go watch it or something. Find a medium of yours that you prefer and just listen or absorb it in whatever way you prefer. That, in a nutshell, is the Thanksgiving farewell concert from the band. I hope that you guys enjoyed and that you learned something today that you hadn't known about before. And I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. 